Well, welcome to 2021, everyone. It just feels really good to be able to say that. I know that we're a couple days into 2021, but still wanted to say that because, as we all know, 2020 was not our best year. 2020 was a little rough. It was harder on some people and some families than others, but it was probably a challenge for just about all of us. And I think there's this sense in which, okay, 2021 is going to be better. It's got to be better, right? It's, it's going to happen well, the truth is we don't know. I mean, 2021 could be and actually will be more difficult for some of us than even 2020. So I don't know. None of us can look into the future. Who knows what 21, 2021 will bring? But I do know this. 2020 is in our rear view mirror. It is behind us. We're moving on. And I, I was just struck with, um, like, what do I talk about this first series and as we jump into this new year? And I was struck with this idea of, like, you know, Maybe teach on just getting our hearts, getting our minds right for whatever God has for us this year. And so that's where we're going to go with this series. It's called Welcome to 2021. The reality is, is we have faced a deluge of negative uh, messages and uh, pessimism and uh, just, you know, even hostility and anger and just a, a bunch of garbage everywhere we go, you know, social media, the news, the, you know, our friends, whatever, everybody's talking about all this bad stuff. And I, I just got to tell you, I think it's time for us to just start focusing more on our Savior and more on his purposes and plans and more on what he has for us and more on his goodness, even in the midst of these tri trials, than just focusing on the trials themselves. The pain is real, I get it. The losses are real, believe me, I feel those. And I want, you know, I want COVID to get behind us and uh, the election stuff to, to die down. I, I want those things as much as any of you do. But the reality is we don't hold the keys to the future. Our God does though. And so our job then is just to look to him and so that's what we're going to do in this series called Welcome to 2021. We're going to start this series by looking at an extraordinary story, um, one of the greatest stories, I think, in the Bible. It's surrounding a man named Joseph. Um, and so uh, he, God used him in remarkable ways. I think there's lessons in there for us. Really, what I want to encourage you with is just not to just listen to information, because the truth is, is that I know many of you have heard this story before. You've read this story before. Maybe you've heard it many times. And all you're going to be listening for is, am I going to, is Joel going to say something that I've never heard before, which, by the way, you should be a little nervous if you've been a Christian for like decades and you've never heard somebody say something before. But nonetheless, um, it's not about listening to me. It's about listening to God. And so even as we get going here, maybe say a quick prayer and say, God, will you speak to me? You don't need to hear from Joel. You need to hear from our God. And so hopefully he does that in each and every one of us today. But let me just tell a little bit of the story, some of the background. So about 2,000 years BC, God calls out a man named Abram, who would later be called Abraham. And he says, Abram, I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to leave your homeland and go to this other land. Abram's like, where? God's like, I'm not going to tell you. Just trust me. And that's like, that's how he starts off. When he's establishing his people, his nation, it starts with just, just trust me. And so Abraham does. He, he leaves and God leads him um, to the promised land, what would be 
well, Canaan, what would later be the promised land. But, um, and then God said, hey, Abraham, um, I'm going to bless the whole nation through you. I'm going to make you into a, or the whole world through you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, you know, the figure of speech, or the sand on the seashore, you know, a great nation. This was concerning to Abraham because he didn't have any kids. But at an old age, he did have a son. His son's name was Isaac. And then Isaac had a couple sons, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, from which we get eventually the 12 tribes of Israel. Why the 12 tribes of Israel? Because Jacob's name would be changed to Israel. So again, we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who would be called Israel. That's the Israelites. And his 12 Sons. Just so you know, uh, technically, one of those sons, Levi, would be, uh, God would appoint um, that uh, group of people, that line, as priests. And so they weren't one of the 12 tribes, technically. And actually, Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, became tribes uh, in place of Joseph and Levi. So that's, that's essentially your 12 tribes. And uh, amazing story here. So now, Jacob has a favorite son. That son is named Joseph. Now, hopefully, parents, you don't have a favorite child. And if you do, never, ever tell your kids that, okay? But uh, Jacob uh, wasn't nervous or concerned about just telling the world, you know, that he loved, he literally, that's what the Bible says, he loved Joseph more than any of his other kids. And so gave him special treatment, gave him this like fancy robe. Of course, that went really well, over really well with uh, his brothers, right? Yeah, not so much. They became very jealous, very envious of Joseph. They didn't like Joseph. They grew to hate Joseph. In fact, the Bible says in Genesis 37 that they couldn't speak a kind word to him. So their envy and their hatred and their animosity eventually turned into a place where they wanted to kill their brother. So one day, Jacob sends Joseph out and says, hey, go find your brothers, check up on them. They're out miles away, you know, tending, for, uh, tending the sheep. And, and uh, his brothers see Joseph coming, and so they devise this evil plan. They say, here, here comes that, that dreamer, because Joseph had a dream that one day all of his brothers would bow down to him, and that, that just made them angrier. But nonetheless, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. Let's throw him into a pit. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns. Let's tell our father that a ferocious animal ate him, and we'll just be done with him. Well, at that point, the oldest uh, son, uh, the brother, Reuben, um, steps in and says, no, are you guys crazy? He's still our brother. We're not going to kill him. Instead, they decide to uh, strip Joseph of his, of course, his fancy robe, and they decide to um, sell him. And so they do. They, they sell their brother, Joseph. I mean, can you, can you imagine this terrible, terrible scene in this desperate situation that Joseph is in? His own brothers betray him and sell him off. And then what happens is that who he sells them to, they sell Joseph to somebody else. And who they sell him to, is his name is Potiphar. Now, it's interesting because at this point, nobody is looking for Joseph and nobody is looking out for Joseph. In other words, it seems like Joseph is all alone. And if you were Joseph, you would feel all alone. But what's interesting is that in Genesis 39, verse two, very clearly says this, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Now let's pause. 
At this point in the story, you've been sold by your brothers, betrayed by your brothers. They wanted to kill you. Instead, they sold you into slavery. slavery. Are you feeling like God is with you? Probably not. Because this is what happens. When bad stuff happens to us, our response typically is, God, where are you? We're usually not looking for God when there's good things happening to us. We expect that, or we think that a good God will give us good things because we deserve good things. But when bad things happen to us, then now we're shaking our fist at God. We're crying out to God, God, where are you? That's just the way we think. When God is with you, then you think that, well, things are going to work out for you. That, that's just kind of your mindset. Well, you need to know that Christians have actually never really believed that. Not, not that way. And yes, God is gracious. And yes, God is merciful. And yes, God gives gifts. But throughout the centuries, and even in the stories in the Bible, God's people always suffered. <laughs> they always went through adversity. Sometimes terrible suffering. So it shouldn't come as any surprise to us. But unfortunately... To many people, it does. And what's amazing in this story is that Joseph responds time and time again, even though his circumstances would make it seem like God wasn't with him, he would respond as if God was with him. Does that make sense? Because there's times in our lives where we don't see God, we're wondering where God is at, and yet we're faced We're facing a decision in that crossroads moment of our lives. Are we going to trust? Are we going to believe that God is still with us, even though our circumstances are anything but but good? Let's also keep in mind, by the way, that Joseph didn't have the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. Those hadn't been written yet. Moses hadn't even been born yet. Joseph hadn't heard any voices from heaven. He had a couple of dreams and you know, God explained those dreams uh, to him, but that's it. He hadn't seen any angels. He hadn't uh, really experienced any miracles, and he didn't have a single person to encourage him. He was alone. He was a slave, just him. And yet it says very clearly that the Lord was with Joseph. Look at that, verse 2. So that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, So that's Potiphar, right? We talked about he was sold into slavery and then he was sold again into slavery. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord forgave him success in everything that Joseph did, Joseph found favor in his eyes. Like, ooh, this Joseph is useful to me. Um, Seems like everything he touches turns to gold. Uh, In his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything He owned. Look at verse 5. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed Joseph. No, that's not what it says. It says the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian, Potiphar's house. Joseph was doing the work, but God was using Joseph to create benefits or prosperity for Potiphar. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Verse six, so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. So all is going very well for Potiphar. Joseph's working very hard. God is blessing his efforts. Potiphar likes that because it it benefits Potiphar. Now, 
Joseph was also a young man. In fact, when he was sold, he was 17 years old. He was a teenager. He was well-built, good-looking, seemed like everything he touched um, prospered. And so Potiphar's wife took notice, and that was a problem. Potiphar's wife began to lure and entice and try to tempt um, Joseph into being with her. In fact, she even commands him, come here, Joseph. And so now Joseph is stuck in this really difficult situation. If I um, do what she says, then I've offended my God. I've turned my back on my God. But if I don't do what she says, then I've offended her and she could have me executed. Well, here's what it says in chapter 39, verse nine. It says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against, keyword here, God? which is fascinating to me that he's so concerned about sinning against God. After all, people would say, oh, you mean the God that allowed your um, brothers to betray you and to be sold and to be sold again and then be put into this impossible situation? That God? Yes, that God. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Uh, the way that most people see it is, I don't want to be with God until I can see that God is with me. The truth is, is if we belong to God, God is always with us, but sometimes we can't feel it or we don't feel it or we don't see it. It's not readily accessible. So in that moment, we're faced with like, it's just faith. Do we trust that God is still with us? Do we trust that God is still good? Are we going to submit to him or aren't we? Are we only going to submit to him when things are going well in our lives, right? And that's the way many people um, look. Well, Potiphar's wife was indeed offended and uh, he refused to uh, submit to her. And so what she did was something terrible. She accused Joseph of doing the very thing that he refused to do. She told her husband that Joseph, your servant, your slave, has been after me. And of course, nothing could be further from the truth. That's not at all what happened. And so Potiphar was furious. He had Joseph thrown into prison, listen, for a crime he did not commit. Have you ever heard those stories, read those stories, maybe seen a movie about those stories where somebody goes to prison for a long time for a crime that they didn't commit. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. This is Joseph's story. He went to a prison for a crime he didn't commit. Joseph is going to pay a price for a crime he avoided, and here's the catch, precisely because he avoided it. <laughs> because he avoided this crime. Because he did the right thing is what I'm saying. Sometimes we suffer for doing the right thing. That's what happens in this broken world. That's what happens when God's people are, are persecuted. Okay, let's keep going here. Verse 20, it says, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. And that's something that we shouldn't expect. What do you mean the Lord was with him? What is Joseph doing in prison, you know? If the Lord was with Joseph, he shouldn't be in prison. But no, no. He was in prison and the Lord was with him. We go through adversity, we go through hardship, we go through trials and suffering, 
And yet we can still know that God is with us. God, his spirit, as Christians, his spirit indwells us, actually. So during those moments when we're wondering, wondering, God, this doesn't make sense. God, where are you? God, I don't see you. Uh, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. God whispers to us in those moments, I am here with you. I'm still with you. Can I tell you something? It's interesting how some of us do a great job at taking credit for the good things that happen in our lives, and then we blame God for the bad things. God, where are you when bad things happen? But when the good things happen, well, it's because I'm so responsible and, you know, I've done the right thing. I've made a lot of good choices, and therefore, of course, I get what's coming to me. But when bad things happen, we say, God, where are you? God is with us in the good and the bad. And that's a pivotal, that's an important truth that we learn in Joseph's story. Again, it says in verse 20, but uh, while Joseph was there in, in the prison, the Lord was with him and he showed him kindness or loving kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So he had favor with Potiphar and now he has favor with the prison warden. Verse 22, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because, here it is again, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. I get the feeling that God wants us to hear that line. That the Lord was with him in spite of the trials and the suffering and the, the hardship. So, Weeks go by, months go by, years go by, and it doesn't seem like any of this is going anywhere for Joseph. I mean, if you were in Joseph's shoes, you don't know the end of the story, right? You just are going through the, the kind of the motions of life, trying to make good decisions, but there's no hope on the horizon necessarily. Joseph, um, then what happens is uh, Pharaoh's, uh, the king of Egypt, he, he has, he's got a baker and a cupbearer, and Pharaoh gets upset with them and throws them in prison. It just so happens that's the same prison, of course, that Joseph is in. And so um, there they are with him. And it says in chapter 40, verse 4, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. And they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison had a dream the same night. They both have a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. So Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker are with Joseph in prison. Both of these guys have these disturbing dreams, these uh, really um, vibrant, whatever, uh, dreams, the same time, the same night. And uh, Joseph notices that they're really disturbed. And so he asked them, he just like, Hey, what's wrong? You guys, why do you guys look so sad in chapter 40, verse seven? And both of them share that they had these vivid, disturbing dreams and, and both of their, um, dreams are, uh, uh, you know, things that like, they don't understand. They don't know what's going on. And, and they have no idea how to interpret the dreams to which Joseph replies in chapter 40, verse eight, do not interpretations belong to God. Where does Joseph keep going? 
he keeps going back to God in the spite, in spite of all the hardship, in spite of all the suffering. And that's the point. Friends, as a pastor, I've seen so many people when adversity strikes them, they're done with church, they're done with God, they're done with faith, they're just kind of moving on, I'm gonna do my own thing. Or I have my own kind of uh, uh, special faith in the Lord, but I don't need to be connected with the church family. I'm gonna kind of do my own thing. I'm gonna just sort of drift and then like, you know, when I'm convicted about something, I'll, I'll move on. The problem is, is that's not the life that God calls us to. God wants his people to be involved in a church and being together and praying together and encouraging one another and being challenged by each other and holding each other accountable in certain areas and helping one another out and being there in times of crisis and difficulty and suffering, all those things to act like a church family. But unfortunately, many times when people experience something bad in their lives, they say, well, I'm done with God. But that's not what we see Joseph do time and time again. In fact, time and time again, he goes back to God. He continues. This is over the course of many months, many years. He continues to go back to God. The point is that Joseph still trusted God. Joseph still trusted God, even though... um, you know, things looked very bleak. Well, anyway, um, so they, um, they tell Joseph, the cupbearer and the, uh, the baker tell Joseph their, their dreams. And the cupbearer goes first and he tells Joseph the dream. And I sort of imagine Joseph sort of smiling as he's telling the dream because Joseph understands the dream. God gives him the, a clear interpretation. He's like, cupbearer, I've got good news for you. <laughs> He says this in verse 13, chapter 40, within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. You hear that? Lift up your head. Like you're not gonna be here forever in just three days. So this isn't like far off in the future, just three days. It's gonna lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me. Remember me. I can't help but think of that song in the movie Coco. But anyway, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh. And listen to this. Get me out of this prison. Did Joseph trust the Lord? Yes. Did Joseph continue to go back to the Lord? Yes. Did Joseph rely on the Lord? Yes. Did Joseph still want out of his suffering? Yes. (laughs) Those things aren't in conflict. Right? He's like, get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph, but was he immune to pain and suffering? No, not at all. Did he like the pain and suffering? No, not at all. Did he want to move on from the pain and suffering? Yes, he did. Get me out of this place. Get me out of this prison, cupbearer. Remember me. Bring me up to uh, the Pharaoh at some point, right? Well, after hearing the favorable interpretation, I imagine the baker had a little spunk, a little skip in his step. And it's like, oh, okay, well, here's my dream. Now interpret my dream for me. But Joseph wasn't smiling this time. He's, he's like, I'm sorry, I've, I've got some bad news for you. Verse 19, within three days, Pharaoh, he won't lift up your head. He will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. And then I don't know why he adds this next part. Like, if that's not enough, he adds, and the birds will eat away your flesh. There you go. He's not going to lift up your head. He's going to lift off your head. This is going to happen in 
three days. Well, sure enough, three days later, it's the Pharaoh's birthday. And just like Joseph said, Pharaoh freed the cupbearer and he had the baker executed. And now we can just imagine Joseph waiting expectantly because his interpretation came true. And he told the cupbearer, remember me and tell Pharaoh about me. And then maybe I'll get out of this prison. And so every day, you know, when he heard footsteps or somebody's coming or the, the, the clanging of, uh, you know, keys or something like that, he might have thought somebody's coming to get me out of this place. Somebody's coming to rescue me. You know, every day he woke, he woke up out of bed. He was like, oh, maybe this is the day that I'll get rescued out of this terrible, terrible prison. But look what it says in chapter 40, verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And what I want us to remember is that Joseph is the one who God is supposedly with. And over and over again, Joseph is being faithful to God. Joseph is trusting in the Lord and his circumstances continue to get worse and worse and worse. Despair, distraught, depression, hopelessness. Two years Pass. Joseph is now 30 years old. And one day, Pharaoh himself, he has a couple of disturbing dreams. And nobody understands the dreams. Nobody could interpret his dreams for him. And finally, the cupbearer remembers Joseph from two years ago and says, Pharaoh, you're never going to believe that. I met this guy, this Hebrew, and he had this unique ability to interpret dreams. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph and Joseph gets all cleaned up and he enters into Pharaoh's presence. And Pharaoh says, Joseph, I'd ha I've had a couple of dreams. Nobody else can interpret, but I he I've heard that you can interpret dreams. Is that true? And Joseph looks at the most powerful man in the world. Joseph looks at the person who can free him out of prison. Joseph looks at this man who, with a word, maybe not even with a word, with like a hand gesture, could lead to his doom, his execution. And he looks at him and he says this, verse, chapter 41, verse 16, I cannot do it. At that point, right, the cupbearer must have been thinking, no, you can now you're making me look bad. But he says, I cannot do that. And then he, like, I just imagine this big pregnant pause. And he says, but God. He keeps going back to God. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Life has been rough. Life has been filled with suffering and hardship. But God, but God, God is with me. Trust the Lord. I'm not going to sin against God over and over again. Joseph says, I mean, these words are some of the most courageous words in scripture. This is somebody who believes in other gods. Don't you understand? This is somebody, the Pharaoh believed that he was divine. Other people believed that the Pharaoh was divine, that he was a God. And Joseph, what Joseph is saying, not so subtly, is, Pharaoh, you're not God. Clearly, nobody else in your kingdom is God. Nobody can even figure out what your dream means. But I know the one true God. I can't do it, but God can. And so Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams. And everything gets really quiet. And then Joseph speaks and he tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh, this is what your dreams mean. 
For the next seven years, there's going to be a great harvest, great abundance beyond your wildest imagination. The crops are going to grow. The rains are going to fall. But listen, there's more. After those seven years of plenty, there's going to be a seven-year drought, seven years of famine, seven years of suffering, seven years that are so severe that people won't even remember the seven good years. And then he tells him, he gives him advice. (laughs) This prisoner gives the king of Egypt advice. And he says, Pharaoh, here's what you got to do. You got to put somebody in charge to store up food during those seven years of plenty so that when the seven years of drought and famine come, your kingdom won't disappear and everybody won't just starve to death. And the Pharaoh thinks that's a good idea. Verse 37, chapter 41, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? Who, one in whom is the spirit of God. You understand that Joseph's life was a living testimony. It wasn't just about him. It was he was putting the one true God on display by trusting him. Pharaoh can see the one true God in Joseph. Can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the spirit of God of God. Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Joseph, can you imagine this moment? Joseph, you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And what happens is Pharaoh gives Joseph his ring and this royal robe and he places this necklace around his neck, meaning that Joseph now has all of authority in Egypt apart from, you know, Pharaoh. And uh, and this this betrayed, abandoned, sold, imprisoned, um, slave becomes the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. Wow, this is amazing. And so he goes to work and he starts saving crops for seven years, for those seven years of plenty. Chapter 41, verse 49, Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. And he built storehouses in all the larger cities and he filled them with grain. And then seven years later, the the season of plenty was over. Joseph is now 37 years old. It's 20 years after he originally was betrayed by his brothers and the rain stopped and people were starving. And so he opened up the storehouses and he sold the grain to the people in Pharaoh's name. And as you can imagine, news spread throughout the surrounding region because it wasn't just that local region, but other regions also people were starving and people began to wander and come from all over, come to Egypt. They have food, they have food. You know, we can survive if, if we get food there because Joseph's own family began to starve. And they heard about the food in Egypt. And so this is where the story gets really interesting. Chapter 42, verse 1. When Jacob, that's Joseph's dad, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? Like, what are you doing standing around here for? You know, do something. He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Now you can just sense like the the drama is increasing in this story. There's going to be some tension here. And what we're about to read is going to be the ultimate test of Joseph's life. How is he going to respond to the brothers that betrayed him? 
chapter 42, verse 6. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the people who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces in the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized him, but he pretended to be a stranger. He recognized them. They didn't recognize him. He had changed a lot. He was uh, 17 years old. Now he's like 39, 40 years old at this point. Imagine the scene. Imagine what he has gone through. It's been decades since he has seen his family, and now here they are, and they're completely dependent upon him. He remembers When he sees them, he remembers the horror of being stripped of his clothes and his robe and thrown into a pit and and sold into slavery. He remembers the person like, you know, scanning him and and seeing how much he's worth and how much they'll pay for him. And he he just remembers how he was betrayed by Potiphar's wife and then he was forgotten by the cupbearer and on and on it goes and the years in prison. But he also remembers those original dreams that God gave him, that vision that one day his own brothers would bow down to him. And this is the moment. It took 22 years for that vision to be realized. And he had to remain faithful during each of those years, each of those months, each and every one of those days. And he did. And now his dream, his visions come to fruition The brothers bow down to him. Now, we don't have time to get too much more into the story, but essentially he toys with them for a while and then he tells them, hey, you're missing, you know, Benjamin. Go go get, you know, my little brother, Benjamin. And, And finally, they're all together. All 11 brothers are surrounding Joseph. And at this point, it literally says in this scripture, like, I'm trying to remember the, the language exactly, but it says like Joseph could hardly contain himself because again, he knows, but the brothers don't know who he is. And he sends all of his Egyptian like servants out of the room. So there's nobody in the room except for his 11 brothers and him. And then the text says he wept so loudly that the other Egyptians in other rooms could hear him. He just starts, can you imagine the scene for the brothers? Like what's going on here? He just weeps, and then he says this. He, he musters out these three words. I am Joseph. I mean, he was a 17-year-old kid when they had last seen him, and you can just, you can just imagine all, all the memories come flooding back in, in an instant. And they come face-to-face with their now middle-aged brother, And Joseph asked his um, brothers if his father, Jacob, was still alive. And the text literally says, but the brothers weren't able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then it says this in verse 4 of chapter 45. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. I love that he added that part. You remember me? just in case you had forgotten. And now, verse five, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. You didn't send me. Potiphar didn't send me. Pharaoh didn't send me. God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. For the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping, meaning five more years of famine. 
But there it is again in verse seven. But God sent me ahead of you. God did to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Do you understand the picture here? The irony here, the brother they wanted to kill is now the, the brother, the one who can save them. And indeed he does. You see, when you believe that God sends you and when you believe that God is, is with you, you gain a perspective that you can't have any other way. And with that perspective, you're able to see through, not ignore, not deny, not pretend that the hardship and the suffering in 2020 didn't happen, that it's all pretend. No, no, no. You're able to see all of it, all the pain for what it is, but you're able to see more. You're able to say through that and over that and beyond that, God has a plan in the suffering. God has a purpose in the pain. God is at work in the midst of the injustice. When I was betrayed, when I was left for dead, when I was sold, when I was falsely accused and imprisoned and, in for, and forgotten, God still had a plan. And let me just say this. This perspective, it doesn't excuse the terrible things and the, the terrible ways that he was treated. Um, because the brothers were still responsible. Potiphar's wife was still responsible. The forgetful cup full, uh, cupbearer was still responsible. But, but it just say this, there's a bigger picture going on. God still has a plan in the midst of trials and his purposes cannot be thwarted. And his plan and his purposes are good because God is good. This is what Christians believe. Not that God will spare us pain, but God is at work in the midst of pain. And don't you understand how important this message is on the heels of 2020? Don't you see? Because so many of us are just like, hey, I'm just trying to ride this one out. I'm keeping my head down. I'm just kind of like try to, try to survive. No, we're not just trying to survive. We believe that God is at work, that God is up to something, that God is leading his people and us. And he's, he's, he's accomplishing his redemptive purposes in this world. 2020 was not a lost year. 2020 was a year where God was every bit as much in, at work as any other year. God is going to do what he needs to do to accomplish his awesome and saving work in this world. And God's people should see that. And we should rejoice in that, not in the hardship, but rejoice in the good that God is bringing about in spite of the hardship. And that is true, not just you know, as a nation or as a world, that's true for your individual life too, you see. It's a terrible thing to suffer alone. It's a terrible thing to suffer without purpose. But when you know that God is with you and when you know that there's a purpose in the pain, it's not that the suffering doesn't exist, but there's something good that is going to come out as a result of the suffering. It's not going to be wasted. Okay, then we got to wrap up the last chapter of Genesis. So now they're all together. Jacob, their father has died. Chapter 50, verse 18. This is almost the end of the book of Genesis. It says his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him because they were concerned that with Jacob, you know, dad was alive. And as long as dad was alive, like he wasn't going to kill us. But now that dad's gone, now he's going to kill us. You know, they were so concerned. They said, we are your slaves, they said, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? This is all about God. This isn't about me. It's not about you. 
It's about what God is doing. In verse 20, that famous verse, you intended to harm me. At one point, you had all the the power. You had all the control. There was nothing I could do to defend myself. You intended to harm me, but God intended it, intended the harm for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Friends, how would you respond if you were Joseph, if you went through what he went through? Let me ask you another way. How do you respond when Joseph-like things happen to you and in your life? Do you still believe? Do you still trust in the Lord? See, usually we don't get to choose what happens to us, but we do get to choose how we respond. We still have choices, not always in the circumstances, often, oftentimes not. And I know that's frustrating, but we always get to choose how we respond in the midst of any circumstance. Are you afraid? Are you anxious? Are you hopeless? Are you desperate? Understand that God, if you believe, if you trust in Jesus, God is with you and that he's up to something good. See, when you're down to nothing, God is still up to something. I love that, right? When you're down to nothing, God is still up to something. It had been 22 years since Joseph had been sold between the time he was sold and then seeing his brothers again. That seems like a long time to keep Joseph in the dark. But God was still up to something. God has a purpose for your life. It is not arbitrary. It is not random. It is not meaningless. At some point, at, you know, a long time ago, there was just God. There wasn't people. There wasn't this world. There wasn't this galaxy. There wasn't this universe. There wasn't even angels. There was just God. And then God spoke things into existence and he created and he shaped and he formed and everything came into being. Listen, God did not intentionally design this marvelous and miraculous universe so that he could create you unintentionally, without purpose. Your life has significance. Every day of your life has meaning and purpose. God has a plan. Second thought, when life deals you something bad, God is still up to something good. You need to be confident in that today. You need to believe that with all of your heart today, tomorrow, the next day. When, God, when, when life deals you something bad, God is still up to something good. And then finally, the last thought, because sometimes the good's really hard to see. The good will come into view the day you realize it ain't all about you. That's clever, it rhymes, but it's true. You will be able to see the good when you understand, brother, sister, it's not all about you. It's what God wants to accomplish in and through your life. For Joseph, it was the saving of many lives. Ultimately, the Messiah would come um, through Jacob, Israel's family, the savior of the world. It was the saving of many lives, not just then, but even today, spiritually. So the saving of of every life, the trust in the Lord. And the bad things in your life, they still have purpose, but you won't be able to see the good until you understand 
life's about more than you. So let's see that as we head into 2021 together. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for the truth of your word, this powerful story. Just thinking about the fact that that Joseph, in the moment of those choices, he couldn't see how all the pieces fit together. Only now can we read the story and see all the connections. But at the time, he just made simple but difficult choices to trust you, to believe in you, to go to you, to not sin against you. Lord, I pray that that's the way our lives would be marked, that the testimony of our lives would be that we continue to follow you no matter what. May 2021 be filled with your people being faithful and believing and trusting that you are a God who's in control and you're a God that's at work. And what a joy it would be to see your redemptive purposes being accomplished through our lives. Will you give us that privilege? And even if we can't see it directly, we trust that it's happening. We love you, God, in Jesus' name, amen.